This is the Sheffield Vineyard Podcast. We love Jesus and we want to be a people that follow him with all of our lives. We love our city of Sheffield and we want to see it full of people who are full of the life that Jesus has to offer. Well, it's lovely. It's lovely to be with you this morning. It's um, it's a real joy. Uh, That worship was utterly wonderful. It just felt like I was being bathed in the Holy Spirit and there were there were tears in my eyes and so it's lovely to be here. Um, Alex and Karen asked if I would speak on the whole issue of hearing God and if you're anything like me you probably find that the most difficult thing in the world to do is to hear the voice of God and yet what I want to try and do this morning is to uh, try and convince you that actually you are absolutely wired to hear the voice of God, and it's a lot easier than we make it out to be. I want to start with a story, this is a true story, and it dates back many years, but at the time, um, my two boys were uh, sort of, I think they were about nine and 11, and Elaine and I were living in a very, very large house, an eight-bedroomed house, a very large house. I don't know why we ended up there, I don't know, it was a ridiculous idea, but anyway, we did. Anyway, uh, one day I had lost my car keys. And this eight, I looked high and low in this eight-bedroomed house. And in the end, I thought to myself, I could not find them. And I asked my children, I said, have you seen my keys? No, Dad, we haven't seen them. And so eventually I thought the only thing to do is to ask the Lord. So I asked the Lord and I said, Lord, you're the only person in this world that knows where my car keys are and I need them. And with that, he gave me a picture. And the picture was of my elder son, Alex, uh, had taken the keys and in a fit of anger, he'd gone upstairs into one of the rooms that we never use and it had an open fire chimney and he'd thrown them to the back of the chimney. And they, there they were in a pile of soot. Now, is that the Lord or is that just, you know, I'd had too much cheese the night before. So I thought to myself, well, do you know what I'll do? I'll follow up on that. So I went upstairs into the third floor. I went to this bedroom. I put my hand at the chimney and there in a pile of soot was what? My car keys. So I came and I showed them to Alex and that did three things. Um, it was very useful. It found my car keys. It boosted my confidence in hearing God, and it put the fear of God into my son Alex. (laughs) Because he suddenly realized that God knew everything he did, good or bad. (laughs) And I think that fear, to some extent, has remained with him the rest of his life. However, it begs two questions. How does God speak, and how do we listen? The secret of hearing God is listening. And it's not that he doesn't speak, it's that we need to learn to listen. And uh, my, my late wife, I don't know if this has ever happened to any other husband, but my late wife quite often used to say to me, Jeremy, you just don't listen. Now, I, I think that's probably unique to me. I can't imagine there's another husband here that's ever been guilty of the wife having said that. But it was true. I, 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 am, a, I am a terrible listener. Um, and... So I had to really work hard to learn to listen to God. But in order to listen to God, we need to be aware of two things. Firstly, we need to be aware of the way that God speaks, but we also need to learn how to listen to his voice. And it says in Job 33, 14, it says, For God does speak now one way 
now another, though man may not perceive it. And immediately the theologians among you will say, well, I don't know if we can trust that verse, Jeremy, because that's from Job's friend's discourse, and uh, can we stand by that? And my answer to that is I haven't got a faintest idea. But that's what it says in the scriptures, and it wasn't taken out, so it may be helpful. But then, perhaps, then we have to jump to two New Testament scriptures on about hearing God. But before I do that, I or one or two New Testament scriptures. Before I do that, I want to just give you a quick overview of God speaking in the Old Testament, because He spoke in the Old Testament in different ways to the New Testament. But it gives us it gives us an idea of how God speaks. So. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, but in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a really like fast mountaintop view of how God speaks. So he spoke audibly. The voice of God was audible to many people, mainly in the Old Testament, but there are some examples of it in the New Testament. And this happens predominantly through the Israelites' exodus from Egypt into the Promised Land, and most profoundly in the life of Moses. Moses, on many occasions, we read, heard the audible voice of God. And in fact, we're all aware of that passage when he went up the mountain and was allowed to, as it were, see the back of God. It's the most bizarre passage, a very beautiful passage, but it's quite an unusual and bizarre passage. So there's the audible voice of God. And then we do have one example, which is what, what we call a theophany, which is the, the, the bodily manifestation of God. And we see a story with, of Abraham when he has the three visitors, and it turns out that there God himself comes. And again, it's a, it's a rather unusual, slightly bizarre story in Genesis 18, where uh, where God appears and is there with them speaking and Moses has a con- Abraham has a conversation with him and it makes him a meal and, and these three visitors who are probably angels make a meal, have a meal and what have you. It's all very odd. But, you know, it is the, somehow it is the physical manifestation of God. We have dreams in the Old Testament and if a dream occurs twice, uh, we learn in the Old Testament that the matter is settled by God and we see that with the, um, Joseph, with the dreams that he interprets in Genesis is 41 and we see the same effectively the same thing with interpretation of dreams and God using that through Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel 4. We see in the Old Testament prophecy, it's the direct voice of God to certain people, to certain prophets. But it's not like New Testament prophecy, it's Old Testament prophecy. And it happened to a small number of of prophets, and when they prophesied, it wasn't just to the general public or someone, they were normally speaking to kings and leaders of nations. And somehow these people were able to get a direct line and hear the voice of God to the extent that it is canonized and it became to the Jews, to the Torah, to us, the Old Testament. Um, A little more bizarre, and I've never come across this one, but we see donkeys speaking the voice of God in Behlam's ass. Again, it's very unusual, this one, but it's there in the scripture. We see people receiving profound visions. So we see Daniel in in the latter chapters of the book of Daniel having these profound visions of of what is to come. And, and, you know, he's overwhelmed by them. And we we see that essentially in the book of Ezekiel as well. And then we see them in the divine inspiration of the scriptures. God saying to these people write this down and this becomes or has become our scriptures and truthfully we don't actually know how those people received it I mean I would love to know how Isaiah got the word of God directly that he goes and writes it down and we have the book today but clearly God was speaking and God was speaking clearly in the Old Testament 
But let's move on now to the New Testament because we are a New Testament people and the truth is everything has changed. Everything has changed. And there, let me say there are, there are many, many, many New Testament scriptures about God speaking. But I want to narrow it down just to a, a few this morning so that we, are, we, are, we feel capable and confident of, of, of being sure that God does speak to us and that we can hear. And the first three that I just want to very quickly reference and very simply are in the book of John chapter 10. And basically, uh, John 10, 4, Jesus, what Jesus says, they follow me because they know my voice. He's talking about the people of God. He's talking about you and me. They follow me because they know my voice. He then says it again in, in John 27, my sheep listen to my voice. And then he repeats it in John uh, 10, 16 again, and, he's, and, he, and he says that. In the parable of the sower, we know in the parable of the sower, he talks about hearing God's voice, and some will hear it and some of the, and it, as the seed, and some will fall on the path and the stony ground and the good soil and among the weeds and so on and so forth. But he, he talks about people being able to hear the voice of God. And then we come into uh, John 16, which is, we call the, it's called the, the posh name for it, it's called the upper room discourse, the theologians call it. It's just that they're in the upper room and Jesus said all this stuff, but they call it the upper room discourse. And basically, Jesus says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will tell you what is to come. He will speak to you. And then we move out of the, out of the, as it were, out of the Gospels and Jesus speaking, and we come to the Epistles, and we come to Romans eight. Romans eight basically just says, now you're not under the law, you're not living under the law, you're not living, having to control yourself and control this behaviour that's in you, the sinful nature. You are now filled with the Spirit, and you are led by the Spirit. The Spirit is leading you and speaking to you all the time effectively. That's what Romans 8 is so beautifully said. And then we dig into the practicalities of 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians, we just give a a, a little introduction here. 1 Corinthians 2, I'll read to you verses 15 and 16. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then Paul says this, but we have the mind of Christ. So both in Romans and Corinthians, they're making it absolutely clear that you are the people of God filled with the Spirit and that God is speaking to you in that way. So we now then move on to 1 Corinthians 12, whereby we see the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And there, Paul describes the nine gifts of the Spirit. And for convenience, it's quite helpful sometimes just to divide them down, because they do sort of fit into three different categories. Or I I fit them into three different categories, put it that way. And the first is what I call the first three, or what I call the power gifts. And these are the manifestations of the Spirit of God that, that Paul's very clear that are available to all the body. They come and they go. It's the hand of God. It's the, it's, it's the dancing hand of God just giving little bits of griddle grace to certain people in certain situations. And so the first, I, what I call the power gifts, are the healing, the gifts of healing, the gifts of miracles, and the gift of faith. And, and they are expressed as we, they are through us to others. 
And then there are what I call the knowledge gifts, whereby God gives us knowledge that we couldn't humanly know or discern. So I would call those the knowledge gifts. That's the gift of the word of knowledge, the discernment, and the gift of wisdom. They They are God speaking to us, enabling us to speak and help others. And then there's what I call the communication gifts, which is the gift of prophecy, uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues. So the last six gifts directly involve the voice of God. And Paul's very clear that because you're people of the Spirit, which he's made clear in Romans 8, these gifts are available to you. That's who you are. That's what I've done. And it's very clear that he guides us into his plans and specifics, and sometimes it's through angels. I've never experienced anything angelic. I've read some very unusual accounts of people that have had angelic visitations. They're utterly bizarre, very frightening, and largely wonderful by all accounts. But we know that how the Spirit leads us. So Jesus, Jesus is filled with the Spirit. You, you know, for 30 years of his life, we know nothing about Jesus. He meets John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says to basically, you know, I'm going to, I'm, he baptizes him. And then Jesus, it says, by the Spirit, when Jesus is now filled with the Spirit, by the Spirit, Jesus goes into the desert. We find that account very clearly in Matthew 4. If we move to the book of Acts, we find that Philip goes to the, uh, to the Ethiopian, he's told by an angel, and he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts Angel, uh, in Acts 26, and this angel says to him, go talk to that man. And so, and, and what we can see in the book of Acts is that they're regularly having angelic visitations. You know, there's, there's that thing where, I can't remember passages in Acts, but you know, they said, uh, it, it, the, you know, there was Peter at the door, and they said they thought it was an angel. You know, they were so used to angels. It's extraordinary. And then we come to another, another way of speaking. We've, uh, oh, we've, sorry, there's another one there. We've got Peter is in a vision. He's told to go to the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius is told to go and collect him. Peter's had a vision. Cornelius has had an angelic visitation. Very clear. And there's a lovely, it's a lovely story. And it's all, about, it's all about nothing is unclean, as it were. And it's all about the call to the, to, to the non the non-Jewish people. Then we have a much more, uh, perhaps a much more familiar pattern in Antioch, in um, Acts 13, it says, set apart, the Spirit says, set, set apart Paul and Barnabas for me, for the work of, that I've got for them, and that was the elders coming together in prayer and fasting. They had, in that context, they had heard the voice of God, and then they send out Paul and Barnabas. And God still speaks today. And Alex and Karen only planted this church because God spoke to them. It wasn't because they had too much curry. It wasn't because they'd had too much cheese. It wasn't because they'd, you know, had a smack on the head. It was because the voice of God had spoken to them. And they'd heard the voice of God. And it wasn't a good idea. It was a God idea. And you say, say, well, how do you hear the voice, a voice of God? And the answer is you listen and you practice. When you hear, you act. Many years ago, I told an amazing story, a very moving story, by a very, very old um, Pentecostal pastor. He was, by that stage of his life, he was very ancient. And he had known Smith Wigglesworth, who was one of the great preachers of the early Pentecostal movement. And Smith Wigglesworth had told him this story, that Smith one day was his habit, every morning in his prayer, he would take communion. 
and he was just praying and listening to the Lord. And he felt the Lord say to him, go to this address, which is, I don't know, you know, uh, 47 Arcadia Drive or whatever, and preach the gospel to them. So Smith, being a man of obedience, he put his coat on, he walked around the corner down to where this place was, and he knocked on the door, rat-tat-tat, knocked on the door, knocked on the door several times, and nobody answered the door. So what would you and I do? We'd go home, wouldn't we? Not Smith. He lifted the letterbox up, and he shouted through the letterbox, for God so loved the world, and he gave a little short preach about the love of Jesus Christ. Felt he'd be done what the Lord had asked him to do. He didn't seem to bizarre, didn't question it. So he then starts to walk home. And as he's walking home, he's gone about 400 yards. And this man runs up behind him, puffing and panting, and pulls on his coat and says, hey, did you just knock on my door? So Smith said, yes, I did. He said, why do you ask? He said, I was upstairs, stood on the table with a rope around my neck, and I was about to commit suicide. You've got to listen, but you've got to act. And that's how you know it works. And you know, we have the assurance that we're children of God because God has spoken to us. How do we know that? Well, we know that because we know, and one Christians say, oh, how do you know that you know, God's spoken to you? How do you know you're a Christian? And the truth is you know because you know what it's like to be a non-Christian and you know what it's like to be a Christian. Why? Because the Spirit of God has come into your life and spoken to you and you've heard it and you've obeyed it and you've absorbed it and you've taken it on board and you're transformed in your life. You've seen both sides of the coin. So now I want to just go down to practical tips as to how to hear the voice of God. And we need to distinguish between what I would say is discerning God's will. And, and sometimes you have to take a long time to discern God's will about you know, where you are in life and what God is calling to you. But there are, those, there are those kairos moments, those moments when God just speaks to you just in the moment. My wife and I had one, and it was very inconvenient, really, because we went to church one one Sunday morning, and it was, I, it, I shouldn't really say this, but it was actually really quite a boring service. And and the 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 pastor who was leading it, and we were in the Anglican church at that time, he was an older gentleman, a man who I still know, very lovely man, and he said in the middle of it all, he said, I'm going to act out a prophecy. And I thought, how awful. How absolutely dreadful. And with that, and immediately I thought, I just sat there cringing. And he takes a jug of water and a, and a cup and he pours it. And he says, and I, he goes, some of you are half full. And I, I, I went in my head, I thought, he's going to fill it up and say, yeah, and some of you are full. And he, did, and he poured it out and said, some of you are full. And then he did what I wasn't expecting, was he took the cup of water and the jug, and he held the cup, and he just kept on pouring it, and the water just went everywhere. And he said, some of you, some of you want to, are going to be so filled with the Spirit that you will leave this place, and your life will be changed. And with that, both my wife and I started howling. I mean, just... There was snot coming out of our noses. There was water coming out of our eyes. We were crying. I mean, it was just horrible. 
And they came and prayed for us. And as people came to pray for us, they were being slain in the spirit and all sorts of things. Anyway, cut it all at the end of it all. My wife said to me at the end of all, she looked at me and both of us, you know, like sort of wiping our noses, red eyed. She said, what was that about? And I said, we're supposed to quit our jobs and plant a church in Hull. She said, that's it. That was a Kairos moment. That was a moment. Now, they don't happen very often. Most of it is discerning the presence. And, and so we need to distinguish between that long-term process, and I'll talk a little bit about the moment, and hearing God in the moment like that. I mean, I don't know how God spoke to me. I went to church knowing that I wasn't going to plant a church, and I left church knowing that I'd been called to plant a church. And it took all of three minutes. But as charismatics, we believe in the presence of God, which we've just been having this lovely time of worship. And hence, if we believe in the presence of God, if he's present, he will speak. We, his voice will be there amongst us. But we also believe in the process of discerning God's will. And that process may take many months or even years. It's a process that involves the inner witness of our spirits. It's the advice of elders. It's prophecy. It's prophetic words from people who know nothing about us. It's thinking and waiting, it's watching, it's, 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 the, it's perhaps you're indulging the, in the practices of, 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 of Ignatius and his discerning God's will about consolations and desolations, to name just but a few. Very valid process. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm somewhat in that process myself at the moment, trying to work stuff out. Often and it's often described as drips of water, or I describe as drips of water, and the drips of water are this, is that if you have a drip of water and it falls on a sponge, eventually the sponge will become full. And, and so in a sense, the idea will, be, will soak you through. But also, if the drip of water falls on a rock, it will just keep going off and going off, and the rock will not absorb it. And so sometimes in those situations, it is just the drip, and eventually you absorb so much of God's, God's will and God's desire that you, your direction becomes very clear. But it's not like that crazy moment I had. It's a slow, absorbing process, and has, can have many months, many weeks, and many people involved in it all. It's a complex process, and in and of itself, it could warrant teachings. But I want to just confine myself to the practical tips of how to hear God in the moment. And it's what I call, it's a bit corny, but it works. I call it an aha moment, A-H-A, aha. Because you go, aha, the voice of God. And the A stands for asking, the H stands for hearing, and the other A stands for acting. And, you, and so here goes the asking. The best thing you do is you pray for, well, for the beginning of a service, pray for words of knowledge. In any situation, just keep asking the Lord, what are you saying, Lord? What's going on? Because sometimes the Lord will not speak to you unless you ask him. And if you ask a question, like, he didn't tell me where my keys are, I had to ask him. But when I asked him, he spoke. And so we need to have the habit of asking. I was asked um, just a few weeks ago at Pentecost to go and speak in a, an Anglican church. And I went to speak in this Anglican church. And they said, we want you to speak on being filled with the Spirit. And we want you, it's the first time ever in the life of church, we're going to have a ministry time. And I thought, thank you very much indeed. And it was lovely. But before I went there, I thought to myself, you know, they're not used to this thing. 
So I just sat for about half an hour early that morning and I said to the Lord, just give me, give me words of knowledge. Just ask, just give me words of knowledge, Lord. And I went there and I think, I don't know, I think I went there with maybe eight or 10 or 12 words of knowledge. And I, as far as I understand, every one of them was there. And the people were, the people were so excited because this woman came up to me, she said, how did you know that? And I said, I didn't. She said, well, how did you get it? And I said, because the Lord speaks. Because the Lord speaks. So, pray for words of knowledge. Keep asking in your head what the Lord is saying. Where are you, Lord, in this? I want to hear your voice. What are you saying, Lord? I, I say that the whole time. And, you know, and, and so you then, you, it becomes almost automatic. And it becomes something that you're just doing all the time. You keep saying, where are you, Lord? I want to hear your voice, Lord. And then you have to start doing the A-H, the hearing. And how do you hear? Well, one of the most useful ways I've found for listening to God was I um, have this habit, and I've had it for probably over 25 years now, that I, I read the Bible through every year. I read the Old Testament once, and the New Testament Psalms twice. So I suppose I've read, I've read the Old Testament through 25 times, and I've read the New Testament through probably over 50 times now. And do you know what? As I read it, God speaks to me. Now, I, I, you can go through huge chunks of Scripture, and, and you're just reading it, and... It's all, I know it sounds terrible, but it almost goes one ear out the other. But then suddenly the Lord will, will highlight, will just focus on a moment. So it's good to know the whole sort of counsel and wisdom of God. So, so you can read scripture. One of the ways that I was deeply cynical of, and my late wife used to make me do this, and um, somewhat reluctantly, uh, no, she wasn't reluctant, I was reluctant, and every time she did it, it worked. <laughs> And she'd say to me, she said to me, I said, I don't know what God's speaking. She said, start to write and ask God and just keep on writing. And suddenly I'd be writing. And the next thing I know, I'd come down and say, well, how was that? I said, I've just written four pages like I feel like the Lord's spoken to me on. She said, didn't I tell you? He said, um, yes, you did. For me, the way God often speaks is I just like, I get a thought in my head. I just get like, it's just like a butterfly. Butterfly lights on the flower, you know, we talk, we talk about sweet peas, it goes on the sweet pea and then off it goes. It comes and it goes. And it's just a moment. And the truth is, unless you act on it in the moment, often you don't know that it is God's voice. Sometimes for me, it's visual. It may be different for you, but sometimes for me, it's visual. I look at people and I look at something and suddenly I just sense that God is speaking. Years ago, I was in a conference in Leeds and I'd finished speaking at this conference and I was just walking off the stage and this man was walking down and he was like walking very deliberately and I sort of thought, I think he's making his way for me. And I was sort of walking off the stage, you know, thinking, just need to disappear now because he didn't look happy. And uh, eventually he got me and he pulled me by the arm and he just said, you've got a word from God for me, haven't you? And I thought, no, I really haven't. I really haven't got a word. I haven't got a clue that I've just been trying to run away from you. But I could tell the man was in distress. And so one has sympathy and empathy. So I just looked at him. I looked at him and his face was just pained. And 
All I could see was that he was wearing a black and white check shirt. That's the only thing that struck me about him other than this pain. So I thought, oh, jump out the boat, Jeremy, just go for it. So I said, I looked at his black and white shirt and I just said, do you know, I said, you're a man that knows black from white and knows right from wrong. And with that, he started crying and fell to the floor. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> anyway, so eventually he comes back up and he, he, he then tells me his story. And he said, my wife and I, I think two or three years ago, if I recall it, he said, we were invited to join some ministry in Canada. And he said, and so we, we didn't have much money, he says, but we sold our house, got a bit of equity, and that paid us to get out there and hire a house for three months out there and, you know, get out there. And when we got there, the ministry turned around to him and said, we've changed our, our mind, we don't want you here anymore. And he said, I felt absolutely sure that that was the call of God and we'd spent all our money. And he said, for the last three years, he says, my prayer, Lord, has been, Lord, I just don't seem to know black from white or right from wrong. So the first thing that I say to him, you're a man who knows black from white and right from wrong. And how did I get it? Because of his lumberjack shirt. The Lord speaks first one way, another another, though man may not perceive it. And so it can be visual. It can be circumstances, and I was in a, a very difficult situation many, many years ago. I'm a, I'm a dinosaur of the vineyard. I've been around the vineyard for hundreds of years, really. Well, not exactly, but 30-odd years. But. And I was in a situation where I was, um, I was planting a church in Hull. I was also responsible for the churches in the north of England. I was a trustee of the board nationally. I was also running... Um, the, our, our worship and music companies and starting them throughout the world and so I was clocking up 100,000 miles a year in air miles going around the world trying to sort this lot out and we also had an old house that I was renovating so we had an old house an international, the international music stuff the local movement the local church planting and the local and, and the um, region looking after the region and I was dying. I mean, I just wasn't sleeping. I had about four hours a night. I was absolutely exhausted, and I thought, I can't carry on. And eventually, we went on holiday to Scotland, in the, and we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we were literally in the middle of nowhere. But I went on holiday, and I said to the Lord, I need you to speak to me which one of these things. Do I, go, do I give up? planting the church, do, I, do we move house and buy a modern house, or do I stop doing the music stuff internationally, or do I stop doing the stuff of Indian churches in the UK? I, I, will, I will do what you need me to do, but speak to me while I'm on holiday. So, I'm walking on a rainy day, and my son, in the middle of nowhere, in, this Scotland, in Scotland, we're coming down this path, there's nothing else in sight, and there's this lone figure walking towards us, a man, in a, it's red, he's got a red cagoule on, and you're walking along, and I look at him, and you, know, you, say, you say hello, and I say hello, and they go, oh, goodness me. And it was the man that we bought our house off in Hull. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And then that sort of, I thought, something's happening here. And then two days later, my son cycles two miles into the village. And this village is in the middle of nowhere. My son cycles two miles into the village and says, guess who I've just met in the village shop? And I said, who? He said, John and Ellie Mumford, who were the national leaders of the movement. 
And I thought, ouch. <laughs> so then I thought, oh, well, that just leaves the local church, and then it just leaves, it just leaves the international music ministry. So John and Ellie got in contact uh, through my son and said, come and see us. So, so we went to see them. We went, walked into the lounge where they were staying a few miles away, and who was sat there but one of my board members from the international music ministry. So I thought, that's it, I've got to give up the church. So I said to the Lord, okay, I understand it. I thought, this is, this, is, this is remarkable. So I've got to give up to the church. And so I said to the Lord, I'll pack the church in. And the Lord just said to me, again, all in my head, the Lord just said to me, look around you, Jeremy, who's there? And I said, well, it's my wife and two children. And he says, yes, that's the church. He says, you have to carry on with the church. So I said to the Lord, are you... Am I supposed to carry on with all four? And he said, yes. So my next question was, I'll do it, Lord, but, but give me grace. Now, I talked to a friend of mine who's a, a mathematician, a scientist, and I said, what's the chance of that statistically happening? And he said something like, you know, you're... Uh, you, you've got as much chance of that, of that happening as being chosen to be the, you know, the astronaut for the next moon project or something like that. I mean, he just said it's just off the scale statistically. So I thought, well, that feels like the Lord. So it's circumstances. And finally, acting. If you have a word of knowledge, you'll never know unless you offer it. You'll never know unless you offer it. You've got to step out of the boat and so when I was at this little Anglican church the other week, you know, I gave them age, ten, word, knowledge, whatever it was. I mean, I could have looked a complete idiot. But in faith, I gave them. And they were there, which is wonderful. You know, you've got to obey. If God tells you to go and plant a church, go plant a church. You know, I mean, Elaine and I left church, left church that day after God spoke to us, and we just knew we went and had to go and plant a church. So a week or two later, I went, well, we, did, we checked it all out with our elders, and we got other prophetic words, but it all was very, very clear. And um, so then I went, to, um, I went to resign my job, and uh, I, said to the, I said to the boss, you know, I've got, I'd like to talk about my future. And, um, and I thought... And then he said, well, it's finished, you should come, Jerry, because I want to talk to you about your future. And I thought, wonderful, they're going to fire me and pay me off. You know, not am I going to be able to plant a church, but they're going to give me a big check to go and plant it with. So I said, oh, oh, okay, yeah, what is it, Philip? And he, anyway, he said, well, we've been thinking, you know, we'd like to promote you to the top job in New York. And I'm thinking, oh, dear. Oh, dear, no, no, that's not. So I said, Do you know, I'm on a slightly different path to that, Philip. But... I think that was just the devil, but frankly, but anyway, we'll just, that's, we never know. But the point is, if, if God tells you to do something, you have to do it. If the Lord gives you a prophetic word for someone, give it in humility. It doesn't have to be, you know, the loud voice, thus saith the Lord. It's just like, I had this real sense as I was looking at you, thus and so. And if it's the Lord, it'll land. If it's not the Lord, it'll just go, you know. Right. I want to do ministry time. So I want to do two things, really. I want to put you to the test. If We'd love to invite you to be part of the community at Sheffield Vineyard. You can head to the website and find more information about how you can serve, join a life group, and get involved in church life in general. Bless you and have a great week.